Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Um, my name is Conrad. I'm the youth pastor here at Antelope Road Christian Fellowship, and I'm really glad uh, to be with you. I have um, just a question. How many hours are in a day? Okay, okay. I, that's what I thought. I, 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 I did think it was 24. I just wanted to make sure. Um, okay. Uh, and I, I really want to get into our message, and we're going to um, get, get into our passage here. Um, but first, uh, it's story time. So I, I'm, just forgive me. I'm just going to sit down. And just have a little, a little bit of story time. Um, so, a long time ago, there was a man whose name was Tom Borgenheitzer Melantinson. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know where he came from or what his background was, what his heritage was. But uh, he loved to work and uh, tinker and invent, and he particularly loved to invent things that would make work even better, make work even more efficient. He uh, liked to uh, make work better for his friends, too. He wanted to help Sally sell even more seashells down by the seashore, and he wanted to help Peter pick even more pecks of pickled peppers. Um, That's what he loved to do. It brought him so much joy to invent and to make and create and and make these devices and technologies that were gonna um, that were gonna make things easier. But also, he loved to just tinker and make toys that he would be able uh, to enjoy and marvel at. Um, But he always ran into the same problem, which was the sun is that it would set, and it would always seem to set right as he was in a groove, and he was just about to have a big breakthrough. His, his mind was really churning, and, and a revelation was about to happen, and then, boom, the sun would set, and he didn't have any light anymore. And sure, he could stoke a fire, or he could light a lamp, but like the flickering flame, the light wasn't enough. It, it, it was hard to work in, and his eyes would be straining, and and he just had to stop, and it was so frustrating to him because he always, it was always right on the precipice, just about to make a breakthrough, and then the sun sets and the light is gone. And he thought that finally he was going to find a solution for that. So then he decided to devote all of his daylight hours um, to make true what you and I both know is that there are 24 hours in a day. Why would why should why should Tom Borgenheitzer Melantonson be subject to only the 12 hours of daylight? Um, why not make the most of it? So then he spends this time uh, tinkering and thinking and inventing and and testing and and trying and failing and making an invention and it collapses, but eventually he, he finally does it. He makes a false sun that when the sun sets, 
he can just adjust a lever and then boom, suddenly he's able to keep working, able to continue tinkering, able to, to make more devices, and, and, and he's not constricted by the sun. And he is overjoyed, and he's so eager, because not only is the work really good, and, the, and, and it's, it's what, where he finds his passion, but also, even when he's done working and creating toys, he never has time to enjoy the toys that he made, because he just wants to keep working and keep inventing. But now he, uh, he gets to, to work not just uh, while the sun is up, but even when it sets, he gets to continue. Uh, but... There started to be this problem with him where he actually preferred the light that his false son gave. Um, the, his eyes were adjusted to it. He, he liked it better. Whenever he would go out into the real sunlight, it, it, would, it would bother him. So then he just you know, built this huge building with no windows, and he put his false son in there so that he could just... Uh, whether it was day or night, he could be in his building and with his false son because the, the light was was better for work. And so then he was able to just go into his building and tinker away and work and work and work. And then something started to happen with Tom Bergen Heitzer Melantonson where he wasn't so sure when it was daylight anymore, or when it was night, the lines started to get blurred. And Tom Bergenheitz or Melantonson started to lose track of time and, and started to not sleep. And Tom Bergenheitz or Melantonson's eyes were growing dim and dark and... Tom Bergenheitz and Melantonson's arms were growing stiff, and Tom Bergenheitz and Melantonson's vocabulary was being shrunk down to just a couple of words. And, and then it finally happened that Tom Bergen... Tom, Tom B. Tom B. had become... A zombie. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we're, oh, man, I, I have way too much fun. We're, we're starting a series called uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, <laughs> a series called The Walking Dead. Um, and uh, it, it, it's going to parallel through John chapter 11, and we're going to look at four different groups of people and, and how they fulfill that title of uh, The Walking Dead. Um, and first, we're going to zoom in on uh, Jesus. Um, so uh, if you have a Bible, then now's a great time to get one and pull it to, or take it to John chapter 11. If you don't have one, we've got some rambunctious volunteers who are uh, willing, if you want to raise your hand, they will bring it to you. Um, and if you have that... Uh, hardback black bible it is page 892 i also was instructed to say that um rachel my wife asked me really to not tell that story that i just told <laughs> um and i did anyway so um 
But so we're going to be in John chapter 11 for the next four weeks. And the reason why the series is called The Walking Dead is because this chapter is uh, incredible. Many of you will be familiar with the story of Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. Um, it's one of Jesus's most amazing miracles. Um, but we also get to see how Jesus embodies uh, being the walking dead. We get to see how his disciples embody that. We get to see Lazarus. We also get to see the Pharisees, and we're going to um, approach different aspects of, of each of those. But essentially, just for a quick run-through before we um, di- dive into our passage, chapter 11 pretty much happens like Jesus is with his disciples, and then a family that he really cares about sends word to him that a friend of his, Lazarus, is sick, is very, very sick, um, and then eventually Jesus goes to their home, and he has already, he has already died. And um, his sisters say, or Lazarus' sisters say, Jesus, if only you had been here sooner. Um, and Jesus gets to have the, the, this conversation with Mary and Martha, and, and just says, like, do you, do you believe? Do you believe in me? And, and, and Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. And, uh, and then Jesus goes to the tomb, and some of the most, one of the most famous verses, and one of the shortest that I'm bummed that I don't get to preach on today, but uh, Greg will get to preach on later, that Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses. Um, Jesus weeps, and then he calls Lazarus out of the grave, and he is resurrected. And then the Pharisees hear about it and want to kill Jesus. And that's, that's pretty much our summary. Um, I, but so we, we want to dive in. Uh, but before we do, there's just a little context to remember. In John chapter 9, we were talking about a, uh, a beggar who was blind and Jesus had healed his sight. It was, it was a miraculous thing. And then the Pharisees were all confused and frustrated and, and they brought the, the beggar and, and asked all these questions and um, and Jesus was interrogated as well. And through the process of that interrogation, Jesus also uh, says that he is the good shepherd, um, that he is the door, um, and he claims to be uh, the son of God. And then, shocker, the Pharisees want to kill him uh, because of his claims to be God. And he goes away. He crosses uh, the Jordan River and that's where we find ourselves right now. So now we're going to read in John chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 10. So if you've got your Bible ready, let's read together. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perf- perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped, and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So, the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, He said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected, Rabbi, 
they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Oh, Lord, would you show us your word today? Uh, it was so fun to, to study this and, and see what some, uh, some commentaries had to say about this passage. I, I just had a, a really great time with it. Um, and there was a lot of points that I wanted to pull out, but, but these, I just wanted to focus, focus on what was going to be most important for us right now, right here today. Um, and first of all, it's important to know this, that Jesus knows he is going to die. He is, he is just not shocked. Um, in verse 7, he says to his, his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But they're going to Bethany. Why doesn't he just say, let's go to Bethany, where Lazarus is? No, he says, let's go back to Judea. And Judea is the, the region where Jerusalem is. So when, his, when he says to his, his disciples, let's go back to Judea, what they hear is, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to the very place where people hate Jesus the most, where all the religious elite are, where all of the teachers of the law are, who think that Jesus is a heretic, who think that Jesus is a liar, and that he's a rabbi, but he's a, a really divisive one who's causing a lot of problems. And they're right, he is divisive, and he is causing a lot of problems. <laughs> but they don't realize that he is the Son of God, even though he has told them that. Um, so Jesus is, is saying, let's go back. Let's go to that place where everyone hates me. And his disciples surely are concerned for Jesus's life. They're probably also concerned for their own life, that if we go there, probably going to get killed or arrested or something. But Jesus knows uh, that he is going to die. Um, when he cro- they crossed the Jordan when they, when they, ran, when they sort of ran away from, from the Pharisees who were going to kill him. To go back to Bethany, they have to cross over the Jordan again. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, once he crosses over the Jordan, he never goes back. He, after our story here, he's going to go to one other town, come back to Bethany, and then go to Jerusalem, and that's where he's going to be killed. Jesus crossing over the Jordan to go to Judea, like he says is him uh, acknowledging and admitting and stepping into his plan, which is to offer up his life. See, I know that Jesus knows he's going to die because of this, yes, but also there's a ton of other places. Even just um, last chapter, John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, as he's talking to the Pharisees, as he's inviting people to come and follow him, he has the cross in mind. He knows 
And yeah, he knows here in chapter 11. Yeah, he knows here in chapter 12. But no, he knows the entire time. I was just thinking about in, in Luke chapter 2, I think it's the end of chapter 2, when, when Jesus is lost, he's missing, his parents can't find them, and then they find him at the temple, and he's like teaching almost. He's talking with the other uh, leaders, and Mary and Joseph are like, Jesus, wh- we didn't know where you were. And he said, don't you know that I would be at my father's house? And even as a child, he knew. He knew who his father was. He knew what was going on. The plan was not a shock to him. Even when he was a child teaching at the temple, he knew. He knew the cross that he was going to. When he was born, that was the, that was the plan. As he was born, I, I heard a pastor one time say that, that Jesus being developed in the womb his, his shoulders being developed in the womb were, were making sure they were going to be broad enough to be able to bear the cross. Jesus being developed in the womb was making sure that he would have a, a, a skull so that thorns could press in. It was making sure that his wrists would be able to take the nails. It was making sure that he had a side that was going to be able to be pierced from the beginning, from the very beginning. He knew. None of this shocks him. None of this catches Jesus off guard because no one's going to take his life from him. Jesus knows he's going to die and he's going to lay it down. He's going to lay his own life down. And I would venture even further back before Jesus is even born. The whole plan, angels are, are telling Mary that she's going to be pregnant and it's going to be the, the son of God. So even before Jesus is born, he knows. At, the, at creation, this is the plan. So none of this catches Jesus off guard. Is he, is he afraid that people are, are going to kill him? He knows. He's not afraid people are going to kill him. He says, they are going to kill me exactly when I want them to. He knows. Another thing that we can see here is that Jesus is not going to be coerced. Here, this family, these are people he really cares about. And they say, Jesus, the one whom you love, he's sick, he's ill. Um, And he doesn't go right away. He's not uh, restricted or under the demands of their urgency, he goes when he's going to go. And there's a couple other places that we already studied in John um, with the wedding at Cana, when Jesus' mother says, hey, they're, they're out of wine. You should turn the water into wine. And he says, like, Mom, <laughs> it's not my time. It's not my time. He says, I'm not going to do it just because you told me to. <laughs> but then he does it anyways. He makes it clear to her that, I, thank you, I know you're asking, but no. And then when he does it, he does it on his own volition. It's something that happens with his brothers also, not just his mother, his brothers. When uh, it was in chapter 7, they're going, or the, the, past, or the feast is happening at, um, 
in Jerusalem, and they say, you should go down, Jesus. You should go down, because if you're really a rabbi, because they weren't so sure if they believed in him, say, if you're really a rabbi, then you should go down so people can know who you are and know all your miracles. And he says, look, you guys go down. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to do what you say. I'm going to do what my father is calling me to do. And so they go, and then he goes later. Was he ignoring their advice? Was he ignoring what they said? No, but he was, if he was going to make the choice, it was going to be on his own, on his own volition. Which is so crazy that Jesus knew he was going to die, that, that people could have convinced him, tried to change his mind of anything, and, and Jesus made every decision on purpose. He decided where he was going to be. He just decided who he was going to speak to. He decided who he was going to heal. He decided at exactly what point he was going to be nailed on that cross. Jesus chose that. So Jesus is not going to be coerced, even by those that he loves. Not his mother, not his brother, and not even this family, which, uh, those were those other points, Um, sorry, with his mother and then his brothers. But Jesus loves this family. These are a couple of little things that, that I couldn't quite make into a full point, but I wanted you to know that Jesus loves this family very much, which is, it, it's easy to look at Jesus as kind of this far off, this distant God who, who, as you're reading the scripture, you're like, oh, well, you know, he went and he healed this person and then, you know, he did really holy things. But, but with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these are the people where he knew he had a home. He knew he could just go and, and find rest with them. And Jesus went to them often. He loved them. He loved them very much, uh, which, which should be a signal to you that just like they can have that personal relationship with Jesus, so can you. Jesus loves individuals. He loves people. He loves his children. So Jesus loves this, this family very much in particular. Also, Mary and Martha, they have the utmost confidence in who Jesus is, what he is able to do, because they don't even actually make any request of Jesus. What they say is, Jesus, your dear friend, the one that you love so much, he's sick. That's it. That's all that the message says. That's, that's, that's all their little telegraph here <laughs> says. They don't even think that they need to tell him. They just know that if they even mention it, Jesus has the ability to do whatever he wants. And they believe that whatever Jesus is going to do is going to be right. That's the kind of faith that I want to have, is to just trust and believe that, God, I just want to present this before you. It makes me think of, uh, we were teaching in uh, the kids' church the story of Saul's conversion. And... uh, the Lord sends a mess or speaks to Ananias and he says to him, there's a man named Saul and he's blind and you need to go and heal him. And Ananias just responds and says, Lord, you know who Saul is. He's a pretty bad guy, but he doesn't say, no, I won't do it. He doesn't say like, you're crazy. He just says, Lord, um, are you aware <laughs> of what's going on? And sure, God is. Of course he is. That's how Mary and Martha are here. They're like, Lord, do you know what's going on? Are you aware of what's happening? Do you have a plan with this? But our circumstances are for God's glory. And just like with the 
um, the blind beggar that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of chapters ago, uh, Jesus says the same thing, that, that this happened not so that you could be healed. And you, you weren't blind from birth because of your sin. No, you were blind from birth so that God could receive glory in this moment. And, that, and that's what uh, Jesus says here. He says, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Jesus's plan is not about making people feel comfortable. It's about making people see how incredible he is. And when we see how incredible he is and put our trust in him, we might not have comfort, but we have contentment. We not, might not be safe and happy and always smiling and bright, but we have joy. We have something that can never be taken away from us, hope. We have grace. We have things that fill us up that just that can't compare to what um, other people are relying on. Um, and kind of along those lines, just sort of as a side note, um, sometimes there's an argument or just even a question about like, why do Christians suffer? If if I believe and trust in God, isn't he going to take care of everything for me? Like, why, why should I have to go through pain in this life if I've already made the most crucial, crucial decision that's going to determine my eternity? Like, what, what's the point of suffering? Or, or, or is God even there? Does God care that I'm going through pain? Does God care that I'm suffering? God's love does not prevent us from experiencing pain. Um, one of the commentaries that I was reading says, um, oh wait, no, wait, let me see this other one, sorry. Our hope in Jesus does not insulate us from life's difficulties. And another commentary said, those whom Christ's, Christ loves are no more exempt than others from their share of earthly trouble and anguish. Rather, they are bound over to it more surely. See, because this is something that happens in the Christian heart, that suddenly God begins to show you his heart. Suddenly God begins to make your eyes see things that they wouldn't have seen before. You begin, you begin to see things like God sees them. You be, begin to hear things like God hears them. You begin to feel things like God feels them. <clears throat> and so then your suffering are the things that grieve God's heart. My suffering is, Lord, there are people who have heard all of your gospel and still turn away. God, there are people that I know who grew up apparently loving you and now they're walking away. God, what is happening? God, there are those who have blinded themselves to not see your goodness and your glory. God, what is happening? These are the things that, that grieve our hearts. And any other suffering that we go through <clears throat> is something that God is using to shape us, to, uh, to grow us. Because your, your suffering de depends on your perspective. Your suffering depends on what you see as valuable or important. As a kid, um, I would just cry and scream just when I was bored. 
You know, if there wasn't anything to entertain me, I just... My parents would come in like, Connor, are you okay? Like, I'm just bored, I guess. And that was the worst. It was just suffering. I don't do that as much anymore. (laughs) You know? Like, my perspective has changed. Things have shifted. What used to be suffering for me is no longer suffering. And, And as a Christian, we have... As Christians, we have this incredible perspective that even death is not suffering anymore. I mean, like, isn't that like the peak of what suffering is? Wouldn't that be the worst? Or maybe some people would say, actually, death is bad, but to be tortured <laughs> would be even worse. To be held alive, you know, for, to someone to say, like, you're a Christian, and, and yes, you deserve death, but we're going to squeeze every ounce of life out of you. That would be worse. But even <laughs> Jesus on the cross, to have every ounce of life just squeezed out of him. Even uh, Stephen, one of the early church deacons who was stoned to death, as he is being hit with rocks, he, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Even as he's experiencing possibly the worst thing that anyone could ever experience, he's not suffering for his own sake. His suffering is that people around him don't know who God is. As Christians, suffering changes. Yeah, there might not be a lot of money at certain times. Yeah, we we might have sicknesses. Yes, we might have people around us who suffer and die. But that doesn't mean that we don't have hope. It doesn't mean that we don't have joy. It doesn't mean that God's love hasn't changed us. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. Really, that's what, uh, what Mary and Martha must have felt when Jesus uh, receives word that Lazarus is ill. And then, and then verse 6, he stayed where he was for two days. And then he said, let's go. And we'll, we'll see later that when he gets to Lazarus' tomb, he, he, uh, he finds that he had already been dead for four days. And like, kind of, if you do the math, chances are that pretty much as soon as the messengers left from Bethany to go tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, as, probably as soon as they left, he was already dead. So Jesus wasn't going to get there in time to stop him from dying. So waiting two days didn't make a difference in preventing his death. But Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a plan. He had a plan that knew that people needed to grieve and mourn for this miracle to really have the true effect. Because his goal was not people's comfort. His goal was not to to stop people from dying. His goal was that people would understand the truth of who God is, that he is the resurrection and the life, that he would be, it would be so clear to everyone that he is Lord over all of creation, that even death has to listen to him. And our last point is that 
Jesus invites us to walk in his light. There's this odd little kind of parable that Jesus says. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And without a doubt, Jesus was saying, look, I'm going to die when, when I choose to die. I will give up my life. No one is taking it from me. At the end of the day, that, that's when it's going to happen. It's going to arrive when it gets here. But also, there's an invitation that he's making to us to walk with the light of the world, to no longer walk in darkness. And I was just thinking about people who don't see the light. Um, and, I mean, there's a couple of options. If, if the light is out, the reason why you can't see is either because you're, you're blind or because you, are, are, you can see, but you are shutting your eyes so tight because you don't want to see it. And I, I think Jesus is talking about the Pharisees here, the people in Judea who, there's the light, but they can't see it. Um, and sometimes Jesus is referred to as a rock of stumbling or a rock of offense, but he's also the light of the world. So the only way to trip over this rock while the light is out, is to be blatantly ignoring, to have our eyes closed. And you know what? I, I, do, I do all of this sermon prep, <laughs> and then God just has a plan far beyond. Like, everything that I was thinking and hoping, God does just better, because I was just thinking about weariness. That's, that's what God put on my heart, was, was weariness. Exhaustion. Because stumbling around in the dark, dark is exhausting. It's just, it, it's miserable. And chances are you've been there. Chances are you have felt that pure exhaustion of just like, what am I even doing? What am I, what am I living for? What's today for? What is the point of this job that, that is just draining me? And if you're a Christian, chances are that before you were a Christian, you felt that weariness. You felt that exhaustion. And some of you who are Christians, you might be feeling that weariness today, too. And I just, you know what? I, I have to admit, I, I did it. I, I grew up in church, and I felt weary. I felt weary. Because I grew up in church, but I didn't. I wasn't trusting in Jesus. I wasn't walking in his light. The solution to weariness is to trust in Jesus, who is the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, you know that Jesus takes away weariness. You know that you can run and not grow faint. You know that he takes you up on wings like eagles. You know that with Jesus, he takes away your weariness because he, he invites you to take on his yoke, his burden, which is easy and light. You know that this is the Jesus that we serve because you run to him when you are burdened, when you, when you have heavy weight on your shoulders and he lifts it. You know because you come to him with sin and he, leaves, he sends you away with holiness. He actually doesn't send you away. He draws you nearer with holiness. He invites you in despite the weariness, despite the exhaustion. That is the Jesus that we serve. And, and if you feel eager and refreshed, but you don't yet trust in Jesus, 
uh, it's because you're walking by another light. It's because there's something else that, uh, that, is, um, that feels worthwhile. It feels good. But I, I just want to be bold and say, it won't last. You will get weary. I just want to be bold and say, if you're trusting in something other than Jesus, it won't last. Now, it could last a year or five years or a decade or two, but eventually you will be overwhelmed with weariness because there's only one person who can take away our weariness for, forever. <laughs> and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Don't wait. I just want to, I want to implore you to, if you feel weary, don't wait. Take a moment to be, to be wise, to think within yourself and, and say, God, I want to trust you. I want to lean into you. I don't want to have to find out how long I'm going to be able to, to sustain this, Lord. I don't, I don't want to have to wait until I'm weary. God, I want to trust you now. So if you're a Christian and you've been feeling weary, maybe find out, have you been leaning on the church more than Jesus? Have you been leaning on the Bible more than Jesus? Which I'm not saying those are bad things. But we worship one God. We worship Jesus. And he gives us the church. And he gives us the scripture. But if we're leaning on something other than him, more than him, then we will eventually wear out. We will eventually get tired. And if, you're, if you haven't leaned on to Jesus yet, I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to. We're going to have a time to respond now. I want to invite um, some of the worship team to come up to, to help us. Uh, but just as, as a word of, of wisdom, I want to encourage you to trust him now. To trust him now. Because you don't have to wait for your own experience of devastation and exhaustion to trust in Jesus. You can learn from people around you. And as Christians, we all have testimonies. We all have testimonies of what it means when we were lost and confused and turned around and rebellious and gone and out on our own. And God came in and rescued us. That he was our salvation. Trust in him now. Trust in him now. Lean into him. Trust in Jesus. We'll just take a few moments to, to pray.
before we uh, close in prayer, um, I just have a few things that I want to share uh, with just a couple of announcements. Um, we do have two announcements uh, today. Uh, one is uh, Financial Peace University starts this Tuesday. So if you're interested in doing that, please, please um, make sure that you sign up. Um, the information is in your bulletin. Um, and if you have any questions, you can call the office, email the office, or um, Jeremy Kennedy um, and myself, Melissa. We're running the um, class, so if you have any questions, you can contact us. Um, the other announcement that we have is that next Sunday evening is our annual celebration, which is a fancier way of saying our business meeting. Um, because nobody wants to come to a business meeting. We want to celebrate. Um, now, in years past, it's been a potluck, and obviously things are a little different this year. So there's not going to be a potluck, so we're not going to have it at dinner time. Um, the time, however, is wrong in your bulletin, because I did the bulletin, and it is wrong. So it's actually at 6 o'clock instead of 6.30, so make sure that you eat before you come. I mean, we're going to have cake, but that's not really dinner. I mean... I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge. Um, we will have child care available also. Um, also cake. I think I said that already. Um, and we're going to be presenting the budget um, for the 2021-2022 fiscal year and elders um, that are coming up for their um, next term. There's going to be a um, historical video because everybody wants to know the history, right? Um, it's going to be super fun. Also cake. Um, we are going to have, what's that? There's going to be cake. Yeah. Um, sweet cake. I have no idea. <laughs> Some sort of cake with frosting on it. Um, they're going to have, we're going to have live stream too, but there won't be any cake for the live stream. Um, <laughs> and to sign in for the live stream, we'll get those details to you next week. Um, and then voting, we do have to, after we present everything to you, you do have to like let us know that you're cool with it. So that'll be two weeks from next week, which will be March 21st. Um, and also cake. So make sure that you guys are here. Um, it's next Sunday, right in this building. No potluck. Sorry. But what's the word? Cake. Um, so anyway, thank you guys for joking around with me. All right, so there's going to be cake, yeah. So I'm going to pray for us. Thank you guys so much for being here. For those of you watching online, we really appreciate um, just the family feel that, that everything, that we're all here. So thank you so much for that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then you guys can go. Lord Jesus, God, we can't thank you enough for everything that you are and everything that you've done for us. Um, God, we thank you for the word that was brought today. Um, Lord, I just pray that you just let that soak into our hearts and our minds as we go about our week, uh, that we're reminded um, of the things that you have spoken to us today. God, we thank you, and I thank you for this congregation and for this family, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.